Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. How's everybody? We're going to have all the new people come up on stage and... Uh... Just kidding. We don't, we don't even make you stand up. We don't even care if you're new. How about that? Uh, excited that you're here. Uh, welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors. I speak here as much as I possibly can. And uh, today I'm launching a series that I'll be a part of for the next four weeks called Christmas at Kesed. And uh, it's just a really, it's, it's just kind of a really fairly low key, uh, but really just, I think, biblically based look at what Christmas means for us. Uh, especially in this culture that we live in right now, which is so easy to be distracted in. Uh, I want to thank, before though I pray and get started, I want to thank all the people that put so much time into this series. Uh, there's a lot that's going to be happening in the next few weeks, and including stuff like this set. I want to thank all the folks that were here last night and who have put time in over the last few weeks building that. Uh, the folks who did all the hot chocolate bars and just the, the festivities and the people in children's. There's just a lot of people who call this their home, and let's just take a minute and appreciate them. Very, very thankful. Thankful to God for, uh, for you, for your story, for the fact that he's brought you here today. Uh, even if you don't attend here, but you're just here, I think that's because this message must be for you. I know that the easiest thing to do would be to get caught up and get distracted by stuff in your own world. I know that for me, sometimes when I'm uh, bringing the message, it's hard for me to get focused because of things I'm dealing with in my life. But I generally make this prayer that I'm about to do, honestly, because I need it in order to get out of the way of my own message but I hope for you, I can also get out of the way of the message God wants for you. This is, today is, is about that. It's about him. It's about that child who came and changed everything. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for people on the journey. Thank you, Lord, for people asking difficult and hard questions, for people that are willing to sit and really reflect on where they are in their life right now, where they are in their uh, journey towards you and Lord, what questions should they ask to better know you and better live out the life you've called them to live? I'm thankful that we get to be in a place and a part of a church that's willing to ask those honest, ugly, beautiful questions. We just lift your name up, Lord. May no distraction keep us from listening and hearing from you. I thank you that you show up and you make yourself so real so often. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh... Today, I want to put up a question, uh, kind of to, to, to launch this Christmas series, and the question is this, what is it that Christmas is meant to accomplish? What is it supposed to do in your life? So, too often, with how busy things are and how, uh, how marketed Christmas is, Christmas becomes something, becomes something that happens to us, and we forget that it's actually something that happened for us. So, what did Christmas... Uh, represent not just to uh, the people of the day when Christ was born, but what did it represent to people who were prophesying about the day Christ would be born? In essence, what was Christmas about before Christ? 
And yes, that existed because Christ has existed since the beginning. And there was a season in this world for many, many years where people lived in complete darkness. They lived in destruction. They, they had no real hope other than the prophets and the, the way God would bring his word and his presence to this planet that had fallen so far from him. But eventually there became consistency within the prophecies. And they began to share about a time when a child would come who would change everything. And they were hopeful, and they were expectant. What was the Christmas season like before Christ? For many centuries, the birth of the Messiah was something that people only could talk about in the future. It wasn't something that they talked about now in the past. There's a man that I want to talk about today. His name is Isaiah, and he says for me, probably the most profound few words about this coming Messiah, 650 to 700 years before Christ was even born. He lived during an incredibly difficult time, a time filled with much desperation. At this point, the nation of Israel, God's people, had been split into two parts, the north and the south, and Isaiah lived and served in the southern kingdom in the city of Israel as a counselor and then eventually as a prophet. And this difficult, dark time is, is what I want to set before us today. I don't know if folks read in the Columbian recently about uh, the, for the first time in a very long time, the uh, average life expectancy rate um, is, is staying at, at a constant and not getting better, and in some places actually dropping. And the article goes on to say something along the lines of that much of it is because of hopelessness. And people are falling into addiction, and people are falling into depression, and the suicide rate is at an all-time high, and all these other things are happening in our society. And there is some darkness in our world, is there not? And yet we, as Christ followers, look back on the birth of Christ and have all this, this uh, reasoning behind us to bring light in the world, and yet we are often the ones, because it's supposed to be our holiday, you realize that, right? Like it belongs to us. It's Christmas, it's Christmas, and yet often for us, it's the most depressing. It's the most saddening. We are supposed to be people filled with hopeful expectation. That's who Isaiah was, and so I found it fascinating for my own place in the story to look at what a man who lived pre-Christ on earth, pre-Christmas, and what exactly he hoped for inside of his hopeful expectation. His name itself meant God is salvation. God is salvation. And one day he came before the people and he said this prophecy, and this is what I'm going to study with us today. This is the prophecy, Isaiah 9, 6. It's very simple and very straightforward. This is it. For to us a child is born 700 years before Christ was to be. To us a son is given 700 years before anybody knew that the Messiah was coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Imagine hearing those words. One day a child's going to come, and he's going to change everything. The whole world's going to flip upside down. People are going to think different. People are going to act different. Because right now there's darkness 
and the system's shattered and you got to go to a priest and you got to work through a person who they, they and of themselves is shattered and you've got to have these sacrifices which are hard to do and difficult to understand and it can become more about rules and regulations than relationship but one day people one day God has bestowed upon me to share with you that a child will be born who will change it all now I don't know about you but if I was to hear that that would give me hopeful expectations. I would be like, this, this is going to be awesome. Let me illustrate for you what that might look like. I want to invite, while I share this story, my wife to come on stage just for a second. This is my wife, Erin Clinton. You can give her a hand. I met Erin. I met Erin when we were 14 years old in junior high. Erin was by far the prettiest girl in school. And I was by far probably the most good-looking, right? Would you say that's true? <laughs> Actually, recently, my 14-year-old daughter told me, Dad, you know, uh, Mom told me that you were not very good-looking in junior high, and it kind of makes me concerned because there's some not-looking friends in church right now, and I, I'm worried that I might end up marrying them <laughs> if they turn out better-looking later on. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I, I assured her that Mom's, uh, you know, Recollection is flawed and incredibly broken. I met Aaron at 14 years old, and, and I, uh, we were not really friends because uh, we just weren't, and there's all kinds of reasons behind that. Uh, but we were, we were acquaintances, and we knew each other, and we went to different high schools. And I remember that I had a little yearbook from junior high that had, you know, all my memories. I had a wonderful junior high experience. I, 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 so many of the things that I now do in my life, I was able to discover in junior high, even speaking and presenting and singing and all these great things happened to me. So junior high was precious to me. And I remember looking back through it when I was uh, just graduated from high school. I had not met her yet again. And I remember seeing her and thinking, man, that girl was a jerk, but she sure was pretty. <laughs> Anybody know girls like that? <laughs> yeah, guys like that? Like, man... You know, too bad her insides aren't as nice as her outsides, right? That's just, and, and it's okay. No, it's okay. That was just, that was just, that's a part of our story. But she's going to get a second to share something with you in just a moment. So I, we met again uh, in, in college group at a church and we started dating and eventually we got married. And I remember that because I had thought so much about marriage that I, I, I sold myself well. I, 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 had, I, had, I, I presented really, really well, and my wife had really hopeful expectations about me. Our first year of marriage was by far one of the most difficult years of both of our lives. Now, I was going to share this next story, and the reason she's standing here is because here's the lesson I'm here to teach you today, folks. <laughs> I share stories about us or about me and, or about her, and then you go and confirm those stories with my wife as if I'm on stage lying. You're always like, did that really happen? Did he really say that? All the time, and I'm tired of it, sick of it. I'm tired of it, okay? I, I just don't get up on stage with a mic and share and then have to go home and, you know, she's like, that wasn't true, that never happened. That's not how it works. So instead, what I said today is, you know what? Why don't you share this story? Because this all happened this week, and I was like, I'm going to share this, and I'm going to share that. And she's like, I'll share that. I said, fine. How about it? So why don't you go ahead and start and uh, be honest, truthful, loving, gentle, and kind. Mostly gentle and kind. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, this week, some really longtime dear friends of ours moved and needed to borrow our truck, and so we switched them cars. 
and we had a dinner to go to, and so we're walking out to the dinner, and I had forgot about the whole car thing. And I'm walking out to dinner, and I see this yellowish, orangish hot rod Mustang. And for most people, it's like, sweet, get a ride in that. I all of a sudden started feeling cringy, kind of cringy and sort of angry, angry at Danny, but not really like putting together what was happening in my soul. And so we're driving and the exhaust is loud and the bass is bumping and I'm like, this would be pretty cool normally, but I am not enjoying this. Why do I feel this way? So we get to our dinner and it all, you know when something, you realize something, it just kind of washes over you and you go, oh, that's it. So we're at the dinner and we're sitting across from our friends and we had, Danny had mentioned it and he goes, and I said, I figured it out. And he goes, well, what is it? Well, back when we were first married, um, uh, before I married Danny, I lived in a beautiful Parade of Homes house with my family. Like that year's Parade of Homes house. Like it was epic. So, but I'm in love and I'm like, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And we got married, and I followed Danny straight to a literal shack. Fair trade, fair trade, folks. We, we could not afford anything. We could afford a shack. And I'm not joking. It was an actual shack. So when you're like, small house, really old, no, no. So, so we're living in this shack, and uh, we, in our 20-year-old wisdom, were like, let's have a baby. So we get pregnant. And then our car, our only car, blows up. So we have to get another car. And Danny, I know he loves cars, he loves fast cars, and I looked at him dead in the eyes. We already have Gabe, our son, he's like three and a half, we have a baby on the way, and I look in his eyes and I say, listen, get something with four doors that is an automatic. Those were my two, my only two stipulations. Four doors, automatic. We're going to have another kid. We need to move out of this shack. we got to figure this out. So I go about my day, and I just hear, <laughs> like, out the window. And I just stopped. And I walked out, and in our gravel pull-in, it's not even really a driveway, <laughs> is... <laughs> Listen, we were so poor at the time, we had a mouse problem. We had to go borrow a cat. <laughs> and that is not a lie. We had to borrow a cat because we couldn't afford to keep oh. a cat. We couldn't afford to feed it. So Danny shows up in this stupid yellow Mustang. And I look at it. Not only, it's two doors. And it's a six-speed. And I just looked at him. And he's like, it's awesome. I'm like... <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> so, so listen, the thinking was in case she went into labor early and she needed to get to the hospital. The, the car, yeah, it was, it was broken. I couldn't even drive the car at like seven and a half months pregnant because my belly and my feet couldn't reach the pedals. So, so, so yes. So the point is, this is a very true story and our friends we're staring across the table at us like, are you serious? And I looked and I, I realized because Danny has changed so much and is not that person anymore, 
that I had to say, hey, oh, he's not like that. He's, he's better. But I will say that that was one of the moments where I felt pretty hopeless. I had these expectations of, you know, the man that, well, now that, uh, and when he drove that car home, I <laughs> I'll, I'll add that, uh, that, I think it was, we bought that right before, right after we got pregnant, I don't remember, but. After, that next, it was that, definitely after. Right, right after. It was like the next eight, nine months. I really didn't see the problem. We, we, I, I'm just, I'm being authentic. I really didn't see that there was too much of an issue. When the issue hit me, when I realized at 22 or 23 years old that there was a problem is when um, we are, I am going to pick up Erin from the hospital. She's had Taylor and she comes out and she's very, very sore. She's very, very tired. Taylor was well Listen, over nine. Listen, that baby was over nine pounds. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a journey, let's just say. And I remember saying, you know, like you do in the movies, I'll go get the car. And then, and the, you know, the nurse is holding the wheelchair and all that. And I pull up in this, you know, four-inch exhaust, lowered, 20-inch rims, yellow Mustang. And the nurse is looking at me. And I, my son's in the back seat. And our, our car seat didn't fit in the back seat of the car. But I was so embarrassed that I, like, made it work. And I had to move the seat up so my wife's driving all the way home while I'm shifting as gentle as I can sitting in this car seat, like this far from the airbag and the windshield. And I thought, you know, Danny, this car might not have been the best, the best choice. And so I was going to share that story. Let's appreciate Aaron because I'll tie it into what we're going to talk about today. I was going to share the story to, 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 I guess, put you in a place. And I know I have stories in my life where I've also experienced what she has. In this particular case, this was her story to share, and it happened just this week, where you have these expectations about a relationship or a marriage or a church or a pastor or a situation or a job or a career or what a degree will do for you or on and on and on and on and on. You have all these hopeful expectations and none of it pans out. Like none of it, not just a piece of it, but like not at all. And you're wondering in this place, what am I supposed to do now? Now, our journey, and we've shared a lot of it from stage, was difficult. It required a lot of counseling, years and years for her, years and years for me, a lot of storytelling to one another about why we make decisions we made. And there's, there's stuff in my story that drove me, right, within my story to buy that car to meet a dysfunctional subconscious need in my life. But the reality is who it really impacted while I was going through that was my wife. And she sat in that place of hopeless and hopeful expectations that things would change. Christmas and this series are speaking to this reality in all of our lives today. We live in a world full of broken dreams. We live in a world full of broken lives and broken stories. It's just across the board. There's no one that I sit with, and I do this quite often, that, that I can't relate to on a broken level if they'll be honest about their brokenness. Hardly anyone. Now, I'm not saying I understand the degree to which they experience brokenness in certain areas. I haven't experienced. But that common language of brokenness works cross-culturally. And I've been able to travel in ministry extensively. And it's one of the very primary things I'll speak on when I go to another country and speak at another pulpit. I will lean into brokenness because it doesn't really matter where you come from and what you are experiencing. Brokenness is just a human part of life. 
And our job as Christ followers is to speak hopeful expectation into the world. That's what Christmas, that was the question I asked, is supposed to accomplish. It's supposed to be a time of year where people realign and rethink what it means to be hopeful and to bring hope, not just to themselves, but to everyone around them. That's why this Christmas spirit thing, I believe, is so real. People are often so kind during Christmas, and I think it's because they've taken a half a step towards really thinking about what it means to bring hope, even if they don't know it. It's woven into many of the traditional Christmas carols. It's often spoke about during sermons. It's often uh, uh, pushed over peace on earth. You know, it's bumper stickered. It's part of the marketing. People don't even know, but they start to think differently, even for that month of the year, and it impacts them. Of course, in January, they've spent too much. They, they experience things that they shouldn't have. They didn't have good enough boundaries with certain family members. And next thing you know, January is a really depressing month of people trying to do New Year's uh, resolutions, and it's so common that it almost becomes silly. My daughter works at a coffee shop, and do you know that all the coffee shops in town like triple up on skim milk during January because you guys all change your same drink to skim milk? Because they know you're coming. By February, though, they're back to normal milk, folks. Just think about that for a second. Our world wants change. We want resolutions. We want different but our world is tired of being marketed to. And that's because the change isn't something you can hear from someone else. You can't have a politician or a pastor preach it to you. It has to happen from the inside out, and it's only really Jesus that can bring it enough to stick. I want to look closely at Isaiah's prophecy because the neat thing about his prophecy is he actually gives us the two primary ways that Christ, who was to come, would bring hope and fulfill the expectations of so many people. First off, the arrival of this hope would atone for sin and overcome death. Isaiah 9, 6, the beginning says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Government there refers to empire, and shoulders refers to authority. He says there will be one who comes who will change the entire structure of how this world operates. Because from the fall of Adam through the birth of Christ, 700 years after Isaiah, the world had existed in darkness and fear. But Isaiah says one is coming whose birth will signal the end of darkness on earth. There will be a light who will bring life and life abundantly. Hebrews 2 backs this up. 14 and 15 says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The world before Jesus thought of death differently than we as Christ followers think of death now. Even if they believed in God, even if they were good people, death was different for them because the Messiah had yet to come and the way they thought about it was this defeat, was this brokenness, was this sadness. And now Isaiah says death eventually will be a thing that we will know is a transition into another world and into another life. We will know it. it we will be able to live differently because of how we think about death. I was watching a documentary the other day on uh, people during their their end of days, and this doctor who works with a lot of people who are in that transition, who are leaving this life, who are dying, says, the thing I find so difficult is that in our conversations about death, it's usually sick people who think about life and living people who think about death. Sick people sit in the bed and say, but I just want to see one more Christmas. 
Do you know what the chances are of every one of you in this room seeing Christmas right now? Pretty close to 100%. Think about living, getting that diagnosis, and knowing that you're not going to see another Christmas. Suddenly, that's all you'd want. You just want to be in church with your family. You just want to go have that talk with your sister. You just want to let your employees know or your boss know, this world know that, that they meant something to you. You would start thinking about living because of your sickness and looming death. And yet, most of the times, it's the living people who talk about, man, I wonder how I'm going to die. Is it going to be painful? I hope I don't die soon. I don't want to die young. Like, we talk about death more than we talk about how we're going to live. It's just an amazing thing that is really broken about us. Christ came to change that. He came that we do not, through fear of death, uh, have to live in lifelong slavery. We can live free. We can live knowing right now that we will see the loved ones who believed and called in the name of God again. We can leave, leave, I can live a life right now knowing that I will never be separated from my children and from my wife. I will never be separated from those within this church who call upon the name of Jesus. Now, it will be in a blink. If I was to die now or you were to die now, it will be in a blink that we will be together again, although on earth it might be 25, 30 years, whatever it is, but it will be a blink in eternity and we will be together again. That should change how we live. That's what Christmas was sent to accomplish. That's what it's supposed to remind you about. The child came who gave you that gift because you live post-birth of Jesus. I live post-birth of Jesus. I get to know he came, he overcame it, it's defeated. I don't have to sit here and preach a sermon, and you don't have to sit here and listen to a sermon about me telling you about a Messiah that's going to come one day and change it all. Maybe for your kids. Maybe for your grandkids. He's going to make, no, we get to see it and read it and experience it now. And yet, isn't it always the way we, the ones who have, don't even think about it? We don't even celebrate the fact that Christmas is supposed to... I have never once sat around Christmas dinner and been like, this is great turkey, and isn't it great that Jesus came to overcome death? Like, no one talks about that. It's not Christmassy enough. And yet, it's like 50% of the reason he came to accomplish this thing, to make it more than it is right now. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is proclaiming, I have fulfilled the prophecy of Elijah to those people. He is saying, I am the one you're waiting for. Some of you in this room, you're, you're waiting. Maybe this Christmas is when you get to meet God. Maybe this Christmas is when you get to actually get serious about your faith. Maybe this Christmas doesn't just become another marketed holiday that happens to you, but instead something you accept happened 2,000 years ago for you. That was really good right there. We should remember that and put it on the... That was, that was awesome. All right. Second, the arrival of Jesus would give man, this is, this is another significant portion of why God came the way he did, because it would give man the fullest revelation of God in history. See, we talk about God in this, as this person, with this personality, with these traits, with these ways in which he operates. The world prior to Jesus didn't have that. God was cosmic, God was off, God was distant. And the neat thing is God is still those things, but he is so much more and so much also because of the person in Jesus. In scripture, your name was a statement about who you were 
and what you represented. As I said, Isaiah's name meant uh, God is salvation. That's what the name meant, God is salvation. And what's so profound is that Jesus is given four names by Isaiah 700 years before he got here. Let's read Isaiah 9, 6b. And his name shall be called four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. No one had ever described God like this before. Isaiah comes and says, this is what the Holy Spirit's given me. Here's four names, four attributes of God. And the world stood in awe. Let's look at these four names specific because they are four names that reveal the way in which the Messiah would reveal his own divine nature to man. So he came, of course, to die for us, to defeat death, but also part of coming in human form, part of Christmas, is that he came to present to you and to all generations of humanity to follow who he was and how he operated. The first word is wonderful counselor. Isaiah says he's a wonderful counselor. There's a time when Jesus is trying to reveal to his disciples who he is and he counsels them and he shares with them and he gives them wisdom about their life. And eventually they say this, John 16, 29, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now, the closest thing I can give to you right now for this is, is when you're reading scripture, I hope mostly, or when you're listening to a message or a podcast or God brings someone in your life and you feel like that message or the scripture or the podcast or someone sharing in your life is specifically for you. Some of my favorite questions are, when did you start reading my emails, Pastor Danny? Because this sermon is exactly what I'm dealing with this week. This is why the Holy Spirit is who we listen to. The Holy Spirit is the lead pastor of Kesed Church because I can say the word truth and it hit every person in this room differently and specifically how they need to hear it. I can say the word forgiven. I can say the word secret. I can say the word transformation. I can say the word hope. I can say the word Jesus. And my goodness, can I say the word Christmas? And it hit every person in this room differently because the Holy Spirit is prodding you and prompting you and awakening you and confronting you and convicting you and forgiving you and restoring you all at the same time. It's just whether or not you have, as scripture says, eyes to see and ears to hear how God is doing that in your life. Christmas is a beautiful time to reflect on those kinds of things, to reflect on the counsel of God. The next thing Isaiah says is that he's a mighty God. This would have been a great word back then for there were many wars and many mighty men. And Isaiah says, our God is a mighty God. John 3, 2 says that a man came to Jesus by night. And this man said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He says no one can accomplish the things you're accomplishing unless God is with you. Now, I don't know if you know Kesset's story, if you don't have... If you haven't got uh, on the website or are not caught up on all that God is doing in our community with our building and with our financing and with the people, I stood in the back with Monty Wade, one of my longtime friends who's been here nearly since the beginning, and everybody's worshiping, and I said, Monty, what do you think about this little church? And she smiled, and she goes, it's pretty amazing. Like, God built this, and he's, he's reflecting himself 
not in this sermon or these songs, but in the lives of people who are sharing with other people the incredible, mighty things God is doing in their lives. He continues to make himself known. He's making himself known in your life right now. And if you don't see it, it's because you're not looking very hard. Take a second this Christmas and look at all the mighty works of God. Maybe one of the mighty works of God is that you're healthy enough to even think about Christmas right now. Maybe it's the reality that you're not afraid that you're going to wake up on Christmas morning and see family, even dysfunctional family. But I'd rather wake up with dysfunctional family than not wake up at all. Unless that was God's time in my life. And then I'd wake up and see him. And I'd be like, thank God I don't have to see those dysfunctional family members anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And he would say, you're welcome, right? Because he'd be right there. Mighty God. Eternal Father. He says he's an eternal father. This is really important because Isaiah is calling a child to be born a father. He is proclaiming that this child has always existed since the beginning. This child has been uh, with God as God. And it is God who comes as the eternal father in the form of a child and sacrifices himself, proclaiming his might, proclaiming his wonderful counsel. John 14, 8 and 9, Philip says to Jesus that he wants to see the Father. Lord, show us the Father. And it, and it is enough for us if I could just see God the Father. And Jesus looks at him and says to him the same thing he's saying to you. Have I not been with you so long and thus you still do not know me? Philip, Danny, people of Kesed, whoever has seen me, whoever has read about me, whoever has worshipped me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? When I, Jesus, am here with you now. This is what Isaiah is proclaiming, and this is what Jesus said he was. He's the eternal father, the loving, gentle, maybe not version of father you have, maybe not version of father you are. He is something greater than anyone in this room could ever be, and he can meet every single need in your life. If you'll do the thing we all do in worship that we're supposed to do, right, which is raise our hands. Anybody ever notice little kids raise their hands all the time? And I think sometimes in worship, when hands go up, we think we're showcasing or showing off. But in reality, maybe what we're doing is what we've been doing when we were little. We're raising hands to a father in heaven, and we're just asking him to pick us up, to see us, to protect us, to receive our cries. Maybe that's what hand raising is about. I don't know. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But Danny said it, and that's important too. (laughs) This sermon has got off track. Um... Go ahead and use the nine o'clock for the internet. Uh, the last one, the last one's Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah says, Luke 2:14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I really enjoy this one uh, because it's so often misunderstood and misquoted. I want to just say this to you, and I hope it impacts you in a beautiful way as it tweaks what God coming, Christ coming as the Prince of Peace means. We too often take this verse, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased, to mean that Christ came to bring a great ceasefire to our world. That he came to bring peace primarily between men. But in reality, Christ said things like this while he was on earth, Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. The first thing he says is we're never going to live in a world without war. We're not. He said it. He also said in Matthew 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace 
but a sword. What Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying, I did not come to bring peace between man and man, but between God and man primarily. This is what he came to do. Now, the beauty of this, okay, if you're... If you're uh, if your theology can, will allow it, and if you understand it, which I believe that it is pretty clear through other scriptures, is that when there's peace between you and God, there is, of course, automatically peace between anybody else. It's the Tozer quote that I say way too often, but it stuck with me years and years ago. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. When we have peace with us and God, which is what Jesus came to accomplish, one of the things, then we naturally have peace with each other. But because we live in a world where people will choose not to have peace with God, Jesus says, just know there will always be uh, discord among people between each other. Always. He's highlighting the need for relationship with him. He's highlighting this need that he is the great peace bringer, but it must happen first between him and you. And that's what Jesus came to do as that child. He came to bring that peace. He came to bring that truth. He came to change our lives forever. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is what Christmas is supposed to be reminding us about. This is what Christmas is supposed to be accomplishing. It's supposed to be moving our hearts in this way, in this place, affecting us because it happened for us, not to us. Until the birth of Christ, the world did not know God like we now get to know him. Ultimately, Isaiah is foretelling of a time, I'll put it up, when God would be seen more clearly than even through the prophets themselves. That is the time you live in. You get to know this God, and if you don't know him, it is your fault. Yeah. We're preaching this sermon early in the series because all the guests tend to come closer to Christmas. So this is for, this is for you. If you don't experience Christmas as it should be, don't blame Hallmark. Don't blame tradition. Don't blame dysfunctional family. Friends, be man and woman enough to blame yourself. Because Jesus Christ's message is clear. He came to change the world. Isaiah let people know they lived for hundreds of years living off the tradition of one day it will change. Then it happened and change happened. And now we live in a world where all we have to do is turn from this vision of brokenness, this world continues to splay before us in some sort of sense of hope and exchange it for what is true and what is real. And that is that Jesus Christ came to change you and me. He came to restore relationship. He came to bring his wonderful counsel. He came to show his incredible might. He came to allow you to touch the form of the Father in the body of Jesus Christ. And he came to be the peace that you so badly need so that when you lay awake at night with the winter rain pouring down on the ceiling, you don't have that tenseness in your chest that wonders why you exist at all. Jesus came to answer those questions. And this book is full 
of people asking those same questions. That's what this series is about. That's what this movement is about. That's what the birth of Christ we celebrate and call Christmas is about because all of us, all our lives, all stories in scripture, all journeys in this world lead to this one simple place and that's a place of hopeful expectancy in a God who promised to change it all. That's why we're here. That's why you're going to invite friends. And we're going to preach it. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to worship Jesus. We're not going to give up and do messages that are easy. We're going to preach Christmas messages, and Christmas messages are often not easy. But the life change that happens is worth it. Amen? I want to give you a few minutes to reflect on this, to think about all these stories, to think about all the people you've read about that were hopeless and became people hopefully expectant. I want you to reflect upon your own place, upon your own story of this Christmas season. It's just the beginning of December. You can still affect how your Christmas has lived out this year. I want to give you some time to get into that beautifully desperate place where you say, God, I don't want it to be like last year. I don't want it to be like what I knew growing up. I want it to be you and only you. Amen? Let's just quiet ourselves. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we can come to this place right now full, God, of hopeless, difficult, struggling situations. And yet, God, in the midst of it, we can find hopeful expectation. We can proclaim the truth of your presence We can proclaim the greatness of your word. We can be like those who came before us, God, who knew that a child was coming who would change it all. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. We just spend this time meditating on your word and what your spirit's revealing to us. We're desperately looking for something different, Lord, something more. Thank you. Amen. Thank you.